The text for Pastor John's message this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, number 33. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 671. Psalm 33. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven and sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope for his loving kindness. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in thee. In recent weeks, our elders, together with the financial and property administrators, have had some of the most penetrating and far-reaching discussions that I can ever remember us having together. On the surface, they have dealt with planning issues, key questions that we have to answer now at this particular point in the life of our church, but beneath that surface level, the the issue has related in general to God and corporate planning in general. How does a, a, a group of people do planning under, over God? How does God relate to that whole issue? It's been a remarkable time that the Lord has given us in thinking together about these things, and it's caused me to think longer and harder, and I, I think deeper, and I hope more biblically than I've ever thought before, about how to be God-centered in rational, 
efficient, management-run corporate America, which for most people today includes big churches. We're just part of corporate America and how you get things done in a church. You get it done the same way you get it done in the business world. And I have thought a lot about that, and I want to share some of those thoughts with you under this text, Psalm 33, 10 and 11 in particular. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. So we shouldn't get too excited about our plans. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Now, the point of those verses is that God plans and men plan and that God's plans succeed and men's may not. And whether men's plans have any significance and any durability is determined by whether God plans for men's plans to have significance and durability. And therefore, the number one issue in planning is God. That's the main point this morning. God is the issue in corporate planning. Now, let me add verses 16 to 18. The king is not saved by his mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, rather, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his loving Kindness. Now, those verses move us beyond planning to resources and implementation. And the point is exactly the same as verses 10 and 11. Namely, no matter how great your resources, victory belongs to the Lord. Right? I mean, that's, these are easy texts to understand. And to interpret a king may have a mighty army. He may have strong warriors. His horses may have great strength. And on the day of battle, God decides who wins. You remember the movie Henry V or if you're a Shakespearean buff, the play. I remember a lot of scenes in that movie. It was very moving to me. And uh, one of the scenes was the battle where King Henry uh, is totally outnumbered against this big French army, I believe it was. And uh, there's this awful conflagration. And one of the scenes I remember is these bowmen, must have been hundreds, maybe thousands of them, in the back lines would cock their bows like this, pull, and at the command, release arrows. And they were like rain going over their troops Beyond and coming down on the enemy troops. Now, one thing, if you think about that scene, is these bowmen were not aiming at anybody in particular. Think about that. They're just fire. And this rain of arrows comes down on the enemy. Now, I ask you, in that situation, who decides whether the arrow lands on the ground or on the throat of the enemy? 
Just the slightest wind changes the course of a thousand arrows and inches, just inches, makes the difference between 500 soldiers falling or 500 soldiers advancing. And as you recall, as they sat at the end of that battle and took count, I think the number was something like 12,000 French dead, 26 English dead. Which is why, with tears streaming down their faces and blood all over their bodies, they sang, No, no, bis domine gloria. No, no, bis domine gloria. Not to us, O Lord, be the glory. Psalm 115 was a very moving theme. They knew they didn't cause those arrows to land. God did it. And that's what this psalm is all about. You can plan, you can have resources, you can be rich, you can be smart, and you can fail with your successes. You can fail. God is the issue in corporate planning, in corporate disposal of resources. Now, that's what we've been talking about as elders and FPAs for a while now, wrestling with the implication of God's centrality in Bethlehem's planning process. Now, I want to illustrate the kind of question we've been asking by quoting from an ad in Christianity Today. Big full-page ad about two or three issues ago advertising a, a management event. These are very common. They're all over the world. Succeeding. And a, a generation later, you kind of start scratching your head and saying, is this church? Is this God? Is this supernatural? Is this just another charitable organization that we can make work? It's a scary thing. But here was one of the most penetrating questions we asked. What if the reason that this sort of planning works everywhere, what if the reason for that is that sharp management observers in the world have simply read these six points out of the book of God's providence. In other words, what if God has wired human nature and human institutions so that by natural law, that is in fact what works. And so what they're really telling back to us is we read out of the book of providence that this works and therefore it is God's truth. Even though they may not recognize it as God's truth. Can we, as a church, simply take over these suggestions, fill them up with our God-centered ideas, and then get on with growth? Now, I want to give you my reasons why I think we cannot, should not at least, and then turn and constructively respond to how I think we, we can engage with these ideas. 
First observation I have to put God at the center here is to admit that it's true. I think it's true that what makes things work in science and industry, what makes them work and succeed so that America flourishes, we heal diseases, we make transportation possible, we have the most rationalized, incredibly successful agricultural, industrial business complex anywhere in the world. I think the reason for that is that people read truth off of the book of God's providence. Science works because scientists are reading God's truth off of God's book, the atom, the sky, the molecule, the elementary table, the inventions, devices and machines and procedures and processes and strategies. But Christians, I think, need desperately to realize that for the most part, this is a secularized reading of the book of Providence, which has as its core blindness to the author and therefore blindness to the connection between the author and his ways. We, I think, need to awaken in American evangelicalism to the fact that many Christians are so soaked with secularism today that we don't hesitate to endorse the way the world reads the book of Providence, provided that it kills the virus or increases speed and efficiency from a 286 to a 386 to a 46 to whatever, just so it increases speed. Does it make the corporation grow? That's the bottom line. And we just uncritically and thoughtlessly embrace the reading of the book of Providence, even though it is a secularized reading that has eliminated God. Precious few, it seems, pull up the reins on this galloping horse of efficiency and and secular technology, pull up the reins and say, but could it be, could it be that those who are blind to God in reading the book of Providence might get something fatally wrong? Could that possibly be? They might get something wrong. Could it be that the stripping away of God from the truth of God written on the book of nature, the stripping away of God might radically Alter the truthfulness of the truth and leave a shell by which you can get to the moon and not have a clue what to do when you get there or what to do with that power or that management skill. Could it be that the stripping away of God from his works distorts the true meaning of his works? And I think the answer to that question is yes. And so I want, to, I want to suggest now some positive steps constructively for how we as a church can move forward together in corporate planning. And I'm going to close in a few minutes by telling you with the elders some steps that we're taking for the summer and for next year that will help us as a church move, I hope, together forward in a process of corporate thinking and planning. 
Here's the first thing I want to say. And it almost sounds perhaps like a backpedaling, but I do want to say it because I think it is very important. I think the first thing we need to do is be humbled and perhaps even humiliated that we, the church, the pillar and bulwark of the truth, according to Paul, that we, the church, may have to be directed by the world toward an aspect of God's truth which belongs to the church and to God and is readable more clearly and more purely and more fully out of the book of the Bible than out of the book of Providence, we may have to humble ourselves and say we were blind to it in the Bible and we were blind to it in the world. And a shrewd observer saw its shell, commended it to us, and woke us up to the fact that it's it's there. That's a humbling thing. When those who possess the source of revelation and claim to live by it and are soaked in it have to say, well, yeah, you are right. It's there. Blind spots. Just because we possess the Bible doesn't mean we know the Bible. In fact, I was reading an article by Ralph Winter yesterday and this morning. And he said he worked with a pre-literate people in uh, Central America for 10 years. And by and large, they knew the Bible better than most literate American congregations. They could not read the Bible. And they knew it better. So there's no guarantee just because we carry one of these these books around and have eight or ten of them at home on our shelves of every possible translation that we have begun to know what God has to say in here about corporate life, corporate planning. And so we may have to humble ourselves and say we were awakened to something by the world who in common grace read it off the book of Providence in all of its incompleteness. Here's my second observation. Um, having done that, I think we need to test ideas that the world commends to us on the basis of the Bible. We test them on the basis of the Bible. We bring them in relationship to God and we ask, how, how does God relate to this idea, to those six observations in the Christianity Today advertisement. We ask, how has this truth read off of the book of Providence, human nature, been distorted by the elimination of God? Even by Christians, it's elimin he's eliminated often. How has the truth been distorted? Because believe me, you cannot eliminate God from his truth without distorting it. It can't be done. I used to, in college, be real enamored by the phrase, and I still am, but now I see its utter inadequacy, the phrase, all truth is God's truth. It used to always be used in courses to justify the reading of non-Christians, which I still believe in. Um, Christians aren't the only people that can read the book of Providence. Now, the inadequacy of that statement is this. I'm not going to say all truth is God's truth, so let's let the secular managers become the guides to success in the church. 
I'm going to say also, all truth without God is not the truth God meant it to be. All truth, in fact, no truth without God is the truth God meant it to be. And therefore, I want to add for all of you students and all of you who are broadly literate and who care about reading the newspaper and reading magazines and listening to worldly commentators and learn from them that you also don't just say all truth is God's truth, no matter who says it. But you also say all's truth is not the truth God wanted it to be when it's disconnected from God. And therefore, you exert a kind of radically God-centered Christian critique upon the most shrewd observations about money, management, science, culture, art, business, leisure. You ask, how has this truth that is being spoken now by Brockow, how has this truth been distorted by the utter elimination of God from the commentary? Because it has. And it's a documentary of our own secularized minds if you do not see that. All things are from him and through him and to him. And unless all things are perceived that way, they are perceived wrongly. Here's my third suggestion. Having tested the ideas from a God-centered starting point, we will now, if we find ideas for corporate planning rooted in God, that they really have their roots in God, we will recast them, restate them, so as to make God explicit and to reveal the roots of this God-stripped truth to reveal the roots of it in his character and his way and his word and his will. And then we will reshape and recast the way it appears so as to make God explicit. There's so many people today who, if you ask them why they leave God out of this or that, will say, oh, we assume God. And I love to say today, God does not like to be assumed. He does not like to be taken for granted. I used to use the metaphor of foundation a lot. God is the foundation of this or that. One of the problems with that metaphor is that when was the last time you ever thought about the foundation of your house and went down and looked at one of those cement blocks and said, oh, I'm so thankful for you. You do such good work every day. You hold up this house. I think about you and I love you and I cherish you and I trust you, cement block. It isn't a good metaphor. God doesn't like being forgotten in the cellar. God likes to be praised, loved. He likes to be like a family member. And you think about him and you talk about him and you give him the credit for everything that he does. Now, let me close by telling you where we are as an eldership and how you are being folded into this process. This is a defining moment in the life of our church. I've heard that phrase used in different settings, and it's a true one, I believe. And we, as a church and as elders, have uh, seen four questions immediately pressing in upon us. 
And uh, we want to answer these four, and we've stepped back to try to get a bigger picture to answer the four, and we are drawing you now in with this message and with this week's star and with a meeting in July and on through a process coming in the fall. But number one, here's question number one that we're trying to solve. Whom are we trying to meet to help meet God in worship, and what forms of worship and music will help us do this? And that question probably, as the elders observe, must be broadened out to the whole range of our ministry. Whom are we trying to help meet God? And what forms of worship are relevant for that commitment? Number two, what staffing configuration will help us best fulfill our biblical purposes? For example, should there be a full-time or a part-time music minister, and of what kind? Third, what, if any, site development will be necessary in this decade in order to accomplish our biblical purposes? For example, how will we minister to the very large bulge of young children on their way to being teenagers? Or will we have sufficient parking to grow to the levels anticipated by 2000 by 2000 and provide the base for sending that we anticipate as many of you are called by God into missions here and beyond? And the fourth question is, how quickly can we pay off the present mortgage on this building and free up that money for other things? We raised half of the money to pay for this building up front and we have $1.4 million left to pay. What fundraising processes would best reflect our biblical values? And what, if any, new fundraising might be necessary? So those are four questions that the elders put on the table that cannot be postponed very long. And to answer those questions, here's the process that we're commending for your prayer and consideration. Number one. We will enter on an intensive period, about 12 months, of master planning that we pray will have the fingerprints of God all over it, beginning now. Second, we will engage Doug Anderson and Nehemiah Ministries to assist us in this effort. Doug's ministry has helped us over repeated efforts in planning and fundraising in the past, and we're excited about his commitment to this church and to see Bethlehem thrive in the power of the Holy Spirit. Three, we would like to call Russ Gregg to relinquish his duties as district elder for 12 months and instead become coordinator for master planning. And we'll ask the church, you, on July 20th at the next quarterly strategy meeting to approve that move because we believe the nature of that role will involve something worthy of a small stipend, which can be covered by this year's budget, but we think the congregation should approve that if we move ahead in that direction, so that Russ would oversee the entire process for about 12 months and apply that God-centered sieve to all of the thinking that we have to do. And the final, no, two more, step would be that we would assemble a commission on master planning of about 20 of, of you. And this will be an extraordinary investment because our sense is that that group, beginning in September, would probably meet bi-weekly through May. 
and would mean laying down other ministries. We want it to be broadly representative of older and younger, of men and women, of long-term and short-term, and various kinds of other ways who would become a very crucial group of people who will bring recommendation and advice through prayer and reflection and study and research to the elders and to the church next spring and next early next summer. And finally, there will be created various listening posts and other means of information gathering from the members so that our grasp as elders of God's will will be informed and qualified and purified by the God-given wisdom and insight and gifts that the wider body possess. I'm excited about these days. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that when you ask what's going to happen to this and what's going to happen to that and what's going to be this, the answer is a process of research, of prayer, of reflection, all bathed, I hope, in prayer like praying the vision, which we move into now. And what gives me strength and encouragement and hope to move ahead is the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. And our goal is to find that heart of God and to live in it. Let's pray together. Father, as we move on to the bridge now and prepare to pray and study as a people. I ask that our hearts would begin this summer in a most remarkable way to be put in tune with your heart. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Plans for welfare and not for evil, says the Lord. Open our eyes, I pray, to these plans. Grant us that our hearts would be lifted. And as we stand and worship, touch us. And may the vision, Lord, of God-centered corporate planning become a reality for us. Shall we stand together as we worship and as we move on to the bridge?